So glad you're here today. We're, uh, we're continuing a series that we began two weeks ago, the second Sunday in January, called Connect. And, and what we're going to be talking about and what we've talked about so far is just talk about the idea of church and, and why, why we have church and, and what God's purpose is for it and all those kinds of good things. And, and uh, two weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember we talked about church as a big idea, church as community. And, and we talked about how all through Scripture that community has been what God wants us to live in, that, that we're not designed to live alone that, uh, that even from, from Adam and Eve and then all the way through the people of Israel, he continued to refer to them as the community of Israel. Then all the way up to where Jesus, he chose his disciples. He could have done ministry all by himself, but he chose to surround himself with people. And, and we're still the same way today, that we are all part of God's big community and we've got jobs to do. Well, today, and then last week, we talked about uh, life groups, and we spent a whole service talking about which life groups we're offering, and we had great testimonies from people about what being involved in life groups has meant to them. And, and it's so appropriate that we do that during the, the, the month that we're talking about Connect, and we're talking about what church is all about, because that is the best opportunity you have at this church to make connections with people. If you want to make a connection with this church, with the people of this church, that's the best way to do it. It still is, after all the years we've been doing this, because you get, you get away from sitting in the same spot, and I know y'all sit in the same spot because I look at you and I see where you are every week, and that's okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you get away from sitting in the same spot every single week, and you get in someone's house, and you sit down across from this guy that you see getting coffee every Sunday morning, and you find out y'all have got a lot in common, and you find out y'all can help each other, and you find how to pray for each other. And so, uh, so we, we talked about that. And let me just reiterate what Donnie said a while ago just to remind you. We've already had two life groups close because they're full. We've got two more that are on the verge of closing today. And so if you're sitting around saying, hey, I, I don't know, you know whether we should go or not, you need to go ahead and get your name on the list because they're starting in just a couple of weeks and you need to make that decision and do that. And, uh, and one of the things we always say around here, and uh, I'll just uh, say it again, men, 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 take the lead on that. Don't let your wife sign you up, okay? You be the man of the house. Now, I'm not saying be the man of the house and say, hey, woman, we're going to this one. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is you take the lead and say, hey, I think it'd be great for us as a, as a family, as a couple, to go to this life group together. And so you take the lead and do that and make the spiritual decision for what's going on in your house. I would love to see uh, our men do that. So, so we, that's what we've talked about the last two weeks. So today, what I want us to do is we're going to focus in, whereas two weeks ago we talked about big church, big C, you know, the whole world. Today we're going to focus in on this church here. I want us to talk about why the upstate of South Carolina needs a church like Freedom Fellowship. Why is Freedom Fellowship here? Now, we started this church about six years ago. And when, when we first made the decision to do that and and, uh, and Sherry and I were leaving the other church that we were, had been on staff at for 10 years, and, and we were making the decision to, to start a new church. I got asked that question all the time. I mean, everywhere I would go. I'd go to Ingalls. I'd go to a football game. I'd go to exercise. Everywhere I went, people would stop me and say, why are you starting a new church? And it would usually follow up with this. Don't we have enough churches already in Greenville? That would be the same, and that's a fair question. Um, how many of you, I'd, I'd like for you to raise your hand high where we can see it. How many of you were raised in Greenville County, you've lived here, or Greenville, Spartanburg, this area of the upstate, you've lived here your whole life? Raise your hand up. All right. Now, 
how many of you that didn't raise your hand then, you've lived here now for over 10 years. You weren't from here, but you've lived here. That's me. I've li- I wasn't from here, but I've lived here about 16 years now. All right. You know that we got a ton of churches. On my way here every Sunday morning when I leave my house, I drive past four to get to here. So I could, I could go to, well, one of them's a Korean church, so I probably wouldn't go to that one because I wouldn't be able to understand what they're saying. That's the one closest to me. But, the, but there's three English-speaking churches between my house and here that are a lot closer that I could just stop there, and maybe one Sunday morning I will. Y'all get here, and I'm not here because I'm at Milford Baptist Church instead because it's a lot closer to my house, right? But, but and you're probably the same way. When you leave your house, unless you live in Country Club or just right down the road somewhere, you probably drive past other churches in order to get here on Sunday morning. And everywhere in Greenville County you look, there's just church after church after church. So that's a fair question to say, why do we need another church in, in Greenville County? But I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to talk today, and I, I'm going to give you three reasons why I think that a church like Freedom Fellowship is necessary to be in the upstate of South Carolina. See, we live in a religious society. We are. We're, this is a religious society. Whether you want to, you know, and you're like, Cliff, man, this, church, this country's going to hell, and there's abortion. There's a, yes, that's right. But in Greenville County, it's a religious society. There's places in America where you can go where if you go to church, you're a weirdo. And if you go to church and they find out that you're too religious, you might get passed over for a promotion, and, and you might get left out of social functions. But in Greenville, it's considered completely normal. In fact, you ask around at where you work, even the people that aren't Christians, they've probably got some connection to a church. Either they've played church basketball one year, which is like the most far-out connection to a church that you can get, but it's still a connection, you know? Oh, yeah, I played on that basketball team. Did you ever go to the church? I don't even know where it is, but I knew where the gym was that we played the games, right? And, uh, or, or another big thing that people do around here that they don't really go to church, but they have a connection to church, is they use Vacation Bible School as free babysitting, right? And it's like, we've got kids, we'll have kids come to our Bible school this summer, and it'll be like the fifth one they've been to, because we do ours in July. Oh yeah, I did this like four weeks ago at First Baptist, and then I did it again at Washington Baptist. And it's just, and so they, but people have a connection to church somehow when they live around here. There's, either their grandma took them or something, and we live in a religious society. And when you think about it, when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, when I read through that, I'm amazed at how similar our society today, where we live in the upstate of South Carolina, how similar our society is to the society where Jesus lived. Because where Jesus lived, it was a religious society. Now, it was a different religion. It was the Jewish religion. But in that society back then, just about everybody had some connection to a synagogue, to a rabbi, they'd been to the temple, they, they, it, was, it was just a part of society. When they went to the market, the, the, they talked about religious things, and, and even if they weren't living it the way they were supposed to, it was still a religious society. And that's exactly the way the society we live in here in the upstate of South Carolina is. And I, maybe I'm crazy, but I think that in the middle of the most religious society probably in America, I mean, you know, they talk about the Bible Belt. I think Greenville County is like the eighth-degree black belt of the Bible Belt. I mean, it is, it is the ultimate Bible Belt place that there is. And I think in the middle of all that, it is the perfect place to have a church like Freedom Fellowship. And as we talk about that, let's, I want you to take your Bibles, if you've got them, open to the book of John. If you don't have your Bibles, the Scripture's going to be on the screen. 
But John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you turn to the back part of your Bible, the kind of the, the last quarter of it or so, uh, the last third of it, that's the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you look at John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a discussion with, uh, with a guy, and we're going to look at the first four verses uh, of that chapter and, and just look at how this discussion between Jesus and this guy named Nicodemus, how that came about. So look at John chapter 3. I'm going to read. start off by reading verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. I believe that there's a need in the upstate for South Carolina, there's a need for churches that attract people with questions. There's a need for churches that attract people with questions. Uh, what do we know? What do we know about Nicodemus when, uh, when, we, when we read those first two verses? We can learn a couple things about him by looking at that. Look at verse 1 again. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Well, the first thing we know is he's a very religious guy. He's an extremely religious dude. In fact, he was so religious that he was a leader of other religious guys. So it, he was a part of the Pharisees. They were the ultra-religious guys that were around. They were the guys that if you've read through the, the New Testament, any, you'll know that they were giving Jesus a hard time all the time. But they were the hardliners. They were the traditionalists. They, they watched Fox News, you know, that kind of deal. And, and they, were, they, they, they were just down the line, you know, everything was black and white. There was no gray with them. And, and that's who they were and this guy not only was he one of them but he was a leader of them right that's who he was so he was a very very religious guy we we know that if he was part of that he was also very moral i'm sure that he was always trying to keep the law and, and that kind of thing now verse two we can learn something else about him it says that he came to jesus at night and said rabbi we know you are a teacher who's come from god for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if god we're not with him. Now, he came to Jesus at night. Why did he come at night? Because of the fact that he was in this Pharisee group, that they were always against Jesus, but he had some legitimate questions. And so in order to come ask Jesus those questions, he came at night, so under the cover of darkness where nobody would see him. Nobody would know that he was there. And so he had legitimate questions, but at the same time, he was very religious and he wanted to protect his, uh, his, his reputation as a very religious guy. Now, I believe that the upstate of South Carolina is full of guys like Nicodemus. We're full of guys who are very, very religious, that we're surrounded by people like that who are very religious, but they still will have questions about what the gospel is really all about. And we need to work as hard as we can as a church. Freedom Fellowship needs to do all we can to attract those people who have legitimate questions about who Jesus is. Now, as soon as I use that word attract, for some of you, you kind of back off a little bit. Whoa, 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 Cliff, attract? Because, see, there's this big argument out there among people who like to argue it about whether churches should be attractional or not. Oh, that church is too attractional. That's an attractional church. As if that means that if they're attracting people, somehow they can't also be teaching the gospel. And they think that that's an either-or kind of category. But listen, I, first of all, I think it's a kind of a funny thing because I don't know what the other option is. 
Either, either your church is going to attract people or they're going to push people away, and I want to attract people. I, I, and I think Jesus teaches that that's the way the church is supposed to be. But I understand where, where, the, where the debate comes in and, and, uh, and you... Um, and, and you get a little, you get a little backed up, and you start saying, "Wait a minute, this whole attractional thing, um, uh, where does that come from?" And so, when you start talking about whether a church is attractional or not, what the where where people get upset with that is, is they think, "Oh, they're just doing it by lights, camera, action kind of thing," and people only come because of the you know fancy video and, and 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 all that kind of stuff, and and that's really that's really all it's about. And I understand that that can be over the top. Okay, I understand that that can really get kind of stupid. And I'm gonna make a prediction that by 2012 there'll be a church somewhere in America that will be doing services in 3D. It's just going to happen. There's going to be some church somewhere soon that's going to buy a 3D camera and you, you're going to have glasses you can put on and watch their webcast and you'll see their pastor putting the Bible out in 3D and you'll be going, whoa, at your desk, right? And that's going to that's gonna eventually happen because churches are, a lot of times churches are seeming to go too far with stuff. But listen, Here's the deal. We don't need to be scared of using lights and video and, and good sound and music to attract people because we're going to tell them about Jesus once they get here, right? And so when we start talking about, well, it's too attractional or it's not. And, and also, let me say this too. Those of you like me, I grew up in traditional church, and a lot of you did. Using lights and video and all that kind of stuff to attract people, that's no, difference than having, that's no different than having a high attendance Sunday where the pastor promises to shave his head if they get the... And I've been in a church that did that, right, where the, the minister of education, if we get this many people in church, I'm going to shave my head. And, they, and we shaved his head in a, in, a, in a thing in the fellowship building. Now, that's the same kind of thing. It's no different than having George Beverly Shea come in and saying, I'd rather have Jesus, and bring all the people in. Oh, we're coming to your church today because George Bev Shea's going to be there. It's no different than that. So churches have always done things to attract people. But I want you to notice what attracted Nicodemus to Jesus. See, what attracted Nicodemus to Jesus? When you look there in verse 2, he says there, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. See, Nicodemus was attracted to Jesus by his life. That's what attracted Nicodemus to Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus could do miracles, okay? How many of y'all, anybody out there can do miracles? Let me know who you are, all right? Yeah, I can't either. Um, and, but we can't turn water into wine, and, and we can't multiply loaves and fishes and all that kind of stuff. We've, we've never been able to do that kind of stuff. But listen, we still can attract people to Jesus with our lives, just the way Nicodemus was attracted to the life of Jesus, if we live, now listen to me, don't miss this, if we live consistent biblical lives every day, if we consistently live by Christian principles every day of our life, where you go to work, where you go to school, where you go to play, if we will live by consistent biblical principles, we will attract people that have questions about Jesus. Because if we live consistent biblical principles, you know what that means we'll be doing? We'll be forgiving people when they're unforgivable. We will be giving unconditional love, which the world is in desperate need of. 
we will have a positive attitude when everyone else around us and when circumstances are terrible, we will continue to have a positive attitude. We will be kind-hearted when no one else is being kind-hearted because the gospel calls for all of us to live our lives in that way. And if we will live our lives by the way the gospel tells us to live our lives, if we will do those things, we are going to attract people with questions and that will attract more people than the greatest video or anything else we could ever do. We could have third day come in here and lead worship one Sunday morning and this place will be packed out. But you know what would happen the next week when it was back to our regular band which I think is pretty daggum good, alright? But, but the next week, all those people they wouldn't be here again. Why? Because they didn't come because anybody had attracted them with their Christian life. They came because they wanted to see Third Day. But you know what will make a difference in this community and will make an impact in a way that that a, a special band coming in or having a Christian football coach come speak that would never do? That is if all of us walk out of here every day and we live consistent biblical lives and the people in this community see, I don't know what's going on, but those people at Freedom Fellowship, they forgive when others don't forgive. They love when others don't love. They're kind when others aren't kind. They're positive when everybody else is negative, and it will attract people with questions about the gospel. See, that's what attracted Nicodemus to the life of Jesus was an authentic life that he could see. It was different than the Pharisees. It was different than the other teachers of the law. It was different than the other rabbis. When uh, I was in college, uh, I worked in the summers for a, uh, for a temp agency, which was a great job for a college student because if you, I don't know if you know what a, a temporary agency, what, what that does is, is that you'd have this business that we need a worker for two weeks or a week. So they'd send me in, and, I, and why, the reason it was a great job for me is I knew what I was going to get paid no matter what, and it was more than minimum wage, which was great. And also, you knew you were only going to be a place one or two weeks. If you go there and the job stinks, well, I mean, you know, I can, I can stand on my head for a week. So, you know, you can, you can make it to the end of the week. Well, um, I, I, did a, I did about three weeks one summer with a moving company. And, uh, man, I learned a lot. Got a, I learned a lot of new words. Uh, you know, there, was, there were combinations of cuss words I didn't even know could be combined until I worked there. And, uh, but uh, I'll never forget, I, there was uh, the guy who was the, the boss, the, the head guy, um, I think that he wanted me to drop out of college and come work for them full time. Um, and so he was always kind of pulling me aside and, you know, saying, hey, you know, if you, if, if you stay here, if you stay in Columbia this fall, you know, we can put you to work and all this kind of stuff. And I know I'm going back to school. And, and so uh, one day he took me to lunch with this bigger supervisor. It was a, it was a, it was a, a moving company that was under United's banner. And, and this bigger guy from United was coming in. And, and so it was going to be the two of them at lunch. And he said, hey, why don't you come with me? And I was like, if I don't have to sit on this hot truck and eat my sandwich and go to you to lunch, yes, I'm going. So I went. And so we're there eating it. I'm just kind of listening, you know. And, and they're talking. And, and, the, and the bigger supervisor's asking my boss. He's talking to him about a certain individual. And he said, hey, why don't, you know, why don't we promote him? And, and uh, you know, he, he seems to have some, uh, some desire to, to make a little more money and work a little harder. Why don't we promote him? And the guy, I'll never forget what the guy said, my boss. He looked at his supervisor and he said, nah, he's too Christian. I thought, and here I am, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm going, well, what does he mean by this? And the, the supervisor from United said, well, I wouldn't think that would be a problem, would it? And the guy said, he said, let me rephrase that. He's too conveniently Christian. And then I really started listening. And, uh, and the guy said, what do you mean by conveniently Christian? He said, well, he said, he doesn't act any different than anybody else. 
He said, but there's been several times where we'll be backed up and I'll need people to work all weekend long. And I'll ask him and he'll say, I can't work on Sunday because I'm a Christian. I go to church. He said, but I've never seen anything else in his life that makes me think he's a Christian. And, and I heard that and I thought, man, what a detriment this guy had done in the eyes of this other fella about what Christians are all about. And I'm going to tell you something. And I told y'all a couple of weeks ago that I was going to be blunt and I was going to be honest. And some of y'all are going to think I'm mad and some of y'all are going to be excited about it. It's just the way it is when I'm blunt and honest. Some people love it and other people think, man, who's Cliff mad at? But I, I'm going to be honest with you here. I, there, there's empty seats here today. There's empty seats at Appalachian Baptist Church down the road today. There's empty seats at Springwell Baptist Church down the road today. There's, there's Springwell Church. It's not Baptist Church. Man, Scott McAllister would kill me if he heard me say Springwell Baptist Church. There's empty seats at Fairview Baptist Church. There's empty seats at Memorial Methodist. There's empty seats at First Presbyterian Church at Greer. There's empty seats in every church in this county today. And I think the reason why is not because we have too many churches. But the reason why there's empty seats in this church and in every other church this Sunday morning is because too many of us are convenient Christians. We are living convenient Christian lives. And we come here and we won't work on Sunday morning because we got to be at church. But then when we go to work Monday through Friday, we don't make any decisions any differently than anybody else. We don't live our lives any differently than anybody else does. When we go to school, nobody would be able to tell that we're Christians because of where we go differently on Friday night or Saturday night than everyone else. And because we're too many convenient Christians and not people who are living authentic biblical lives day after day, then that's why people are not being attracted to our churches. It doesn't have anything to do with style of worship or whether you do Sunday school or life groups. Authentic Christian lives is what attracts people to Jesus, not anything else. And I believe that the upstate of South Carolina needs a church that attracts people with questions. The second thing is, I believe there's a need for churches that clearly explain the gospel. There's a need for churches that clearly explain the gospel. Now, I ask you all this question all the time. I'm going to ask you again, and I want you to answer out loud. If, you, if you've been here, you should know it. If not, you're going to learn it right now. What does gospel mean? Good news. Say it with me. Good news. That's what the gospel is. And for us, when we talk about the gospel, now we know the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the gospels. And why do we call those the gospels? Because it contains the whole story of Jesus, right? From his birth all the way through to his life and ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and then his going back into heaven. It includes that story. And for us, when we talk about the gospel, the good news, we're talking about the entire story of Jesus and how it affects our lives, how it's changed us, how we can now be forgiven of sin and we can live differently and we can have a promise of a, of a home in heaven one day. And we need churches that will clearly communicate and clearly explain the gospel. Look at John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. So after, after Jesus and Nicodemus begin this discussion and Nicodemus says to him, hey, we know you're from God because you're different than everybody else. And then look at verse 3. This is how Jesus replies to him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now, Nicodemus was a religious guy, he was a moral guy, and, and he was a very smart guy. 
But when Jesus said, you got to be born again, all of a sudden his mind was blown. And he heard that and he said, I don't even understand what you're talking about. You're talk- I can't go back inside my mother's womb. What, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? It blew his mind. And Nicodemus was a guy who knew his stuff. He knew his religious stuff. But when Jesus began to talk about not religion, but he began to talk about the gospel, all of a sudden he, he was hearing something for the first time. And I'm going to tell you, our society where we live in the upstate of South Carolina, we are surrounded by people like Nicodemus who know their religious stuff. We've got people that know the Ten Commandments. We've got, we've got people that, that, uh, that, that have been to Sunday school. They can tell you. Uh, some of them can even name all 12 apostles, right? Um, they, they, they can tell you the fruits of the Spirit. They can quote John 3.16, and the, the ones who've been to FCA can even quote Philippians 4.13, right? Because that's the FCA verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And they know those two verses, and they can quote those. And we've got religious people all around us. But when they really hear what the gospel is about, it will blow their mind. Because the gospel is not about religion, and the gospel is not about memorizing everything you can memorize, even though all those things are good. But see, just because people around us know their religious stuff, it doesn't mean that they've been transformed by the gospel. I believe that we have a unique challenge where we live. See, uh, there's, a, there's a pastor that I listen to uh, sometimes on podcasts. His name's Mark Driscoll, and he's out in Seattle, Washington. And man, out in Seattle, you are a weirdo if you go to church. Um, Mark Johnson lived there, and uh, he was a weirdo then. He's still pretty weird now. But, uh, but, but if you live out, he can tell you, you live out in Seattle, and you go to church, and you're, you're, you're committed to your church, you're weird, right? And Mark Driscoll talks about how hard it is to win people to Jesus out there, and I believe that it is. But I believe we have a different, just as challenging situation here, and it's unique. And that is, we live in a place where everybody already thinks they're saved. Everybody already thinks they know Jesus because they do send their kids to Bible school, because they did play church basketball, because their grandma took them to VBS one time. And so they think that they've already got it all together. They think they're covered religiously. And what they don't understand is it's not about religion. It's about the gospel. It's about changing their life. And, and see, when just like Nicodemus, he had all his religious stuff together. But when Jesus said, hey, you need to be born again, that was a totally different thing. Uh, when I was in, in college, um, where the first church that I ever served on as a, as a youth pastor was uh, a church that Sherry and I, were, that's where we pretty much met and, and, uh, and fell in love and all that kind of good stuff. And... and uh, She's played the piano, and I'd sit down and make sure there was a space open, like the only one left in the church, so that when she got done, she had to come sit next to me. It worked out well. And, um, but when I, when I went on staff at that church, I hadn't been on staff very long, and we got the first computer system the church had ever had. This would have been like 1988, right, 89, something like that. Church had never had a computer system, and so they had all these computers sitting around and trying to teach this secretary who was like 85 years old how to do the books on the computer. That was a lot of fun, you know. And, uh, and so when, it came, when they got it delivered and all that stuff, well, immediately it started having problems. Well, I came in one afternoon, and our pastor, who was an awesome guy, He's sitting at the computer, and he's typing in commands. And this was back in the days of DOS. You remember DOS where you couldn't point and click. You had to put in, like, parentheses, 923, semicolon, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, 
he's in there typing in these commands and doing all this stuff. And, and, um, and I asked one of the other guys on staff, I said, man, I didn't, I didn't realize Rob knew so much about computers. And I'll never forget his response. He said, well, he knows just enough to be dangerous. And we found out later that Rob really messed it up bad and had to bring in like a professional, you know. But I, I think that when it comes to people in the upstate, when it comes to their knowledge of the gospel, I think a lot of them know just enough to be dangerous. They know just enough to where they think, oh yeah, um, I believe in Jesus, so I'm covered. You know what the book of James says? It says, you believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that. Even Satan believes there's, he, he, Satan believes in Jesus. He knows he exists. But he's not going to be in heaven with me and you if you're a follower of Christ. See, believing is, is not enough just to say, oh yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a belief to where you commit your whole life and where Jesus has transformed you. And that's why when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he was telling Nicodemus, look, you know all the right stuff. You know everything. You know about the Messiah. You know where he's supposed to be born. You know all that good stuff. But that's not enough. You've got to be transformed. You've got to be born again where you die to your old self and now you become someone new. And I believe that the upstate desperately needs a church that clearly explains the gospel. And the reason why is we've got a lot of people who are just like Nicodemus. They're religious, but we have so many less people who are born again. We've got thousands of religious people out there, but we've got a whole lot less who are born again. And I would even say this. There's some of you sitting here today that if you were honest with yourself, if you really knelt down before God and started trying to figure out your life and started asking Him for insight into who you are, you would find out, you know what? I'm not born again. I'm just religious. And you need to accept the gospel as well. And what this, what this community needs, it needs a church who, where every Sunday from this stage, the gospel will be clearly communicated. But not just from this stage, but that every one of you that when you walk out these doors, you clearly communicate the gospel to the people that you work with, the people that you live near, the people that you go to school with. And we need an entire church that walks out and we communicate the gospel about how Jesus has to transform us, that it's more than just quoting Bible verses, that it's more than just going to church and getting your Sunday school pins and going to Bible drill and all that other good stuff, but it's about being transformed and living transformed lives day after day after day. And what I love also about the part where Jesus talks to Nicodemus is, you notice Jesus didn't assume that, that Nicodemus had been born again. Jesus knew he was religious. And see what we often do? We assume, oh, they go to church. Don't need to worry about sharing Jesus with them. I did a funeral uh, last week or week before last for a man who had been in church most of his life. But it wasn't until just a few weeks before he passed away that through his daughters talking to him, they discovered that he had never accepted Jesus. And he was able to do that before he passed away, just in the nick of time. But if they had assumed, well, Daddy always went to church. Not only had Daddy always gone to church, this man was one of the kindest, most loving people you had ever been around. He would do things for strangers. So you would even look at his life, and you would even look at his life and say, he lives like he loves people, and he goes to church, he's covered. But they didn't assume that, and they took the opportunity to ask him. 
Jesus didn't assume Nicodemus just because he was a Pharisee, just because he was a moral guy. He didn't assume that he was a follower. That it, he didn't assume that he had been born again. And we can't assume that anybody in our community knows Jesus. We have to make sure that we take the opportunity to ask them, to discuss it, to clearly explain the gospel. And then the last thing that I think we need and we can see in this passage of Scripture, there's a need for churches that challenge people to move ahead on the journey. There's a need for churches that challenge people to move ahead on the journey. When you read in, um, read in John chapter 3 and, and you look at that passage of Scripture there where, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, all I read you was the first four verses. Go home and read the rest of it yourself. And by the way, famous verse of all, most famous verse ever, John 3.16, when, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world, he was talking to Nicodemus when he said that. That was when he was having that discussion, clearly explaining the gospel to him. But he, I read you the first four verses, but it goes all the way down to verse 21. Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And we don't know how Nicodemus responded that day. There's not a verse, in, in verse 22 it doesn't say, and Nicodemus got on his knees and accepted Jesus and became his follower. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he rejected Jesus. But if you continue reading through the Gospel of John, we see more about Nicodemus. Look at John chapter 7. Look at this on the screen. John 7, 50 through 51. It says this. Nicodemus, now well, let me tell you what's happening here real quick. The Pharisees, who Nicodemus is one of them, remember, they're talking about making plans to have Jesus arrested because they don't like what he's teaching. And look what happens. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? So sometime between the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus to now this time where, where the Pharisees are meeting, Nicodemus, maybe he's not a complete follower of Jesus yet, but he's moved from a guy who would only go see Jesus at night because he was embarrassed to now he's a guy who would defend Jesus in front of his friends, even though they might tell him he's an idiot, even though they might kick him out of the ruling council. He, he speaks up and he takes a stand for Jesus in defense of him. And then look all the way to John 19. Jesus has been crucified, and this is before the resurrection. In John 19, verse 38, it says this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So look at where Nicodemus went to. He went from a guy who was, came to Jesus at night, was embarrassed, then he becomes a guy who speaks out publicly for Jesus, now all the way to where he takes the final step and he says, I'm, I'm going to even just step all the way out. I know that I'm going to be kicked out of the Pharisees. I know that if they find out about this, there's no way I'll lose my standing in the community, but I'm going to help bury this guy. I'm going to help bury him, and he took that final step. And we don't know what happened in Nicodemus' life after that. But what we see is we see a progression where Nicodemus was taking small steps 
along the journey. And we need to be a church. The upstate desperately needs a church where we will challenge people to take their next steps on the journey, to move ahead on the journey of faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to be a church that challenges people to do that. Now listen closely. No matter what it is that you do, the longer you do it, you have a tendency to get fat and happy. Not necessarily physically. But no matter what it is, you know that to be true. You start off in a bowling league, for goodness sake. What, I mean, something that means nothing in eternity, right? You start off in a bowling league, and at first you're like, man, you're all into bowling, and you're buying shoes and those shirts with your name on the back and everything else, and got special gloves, and you're into it. And then after you do it five, six, ten years, then it's like, I don't know if I'm going bowling tonight or not. You're tired, you know, it's different people there than used to be there and all that kind of stuff, whatever it might be. And church is no different. And there's some of you that know. There's some of you that, that were here in the beginning when we just met around a dining room table. And we just met in somebody's den or living room. And you were so excited about it then. This is going to be a church that's going to change the community. We're going to challenge the world. People are going to get saved and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden we get equipment and we hire staff and, and, we, and we get a, a piece of land graciously through another church and, and, and we have our own offices and all this stuff and all of a sudden we look around and it looks kind of like we're all fat and happy now because we say, oh, we're kind of kicking back and taking it easy. We can't get fat and happy. We've got to continue to move ahead on the journey and we've got to continue to be a church that challenges others to do that. We need to challenge every person in this community who does not know Jesus, who, is, who has not accepted Him, who has not been born again. We need to challenge every single one of them that they need to accept Christ. And then we need to challenge every single person in the upstate who says they've already accepted Jesus to move ahead on the next step. Because it's not just about accepting Jesus and sitting down. It's about accepting Jesus and then moving forward and working hard and doing all you can until the day you die so to see Him glorified. And we need to challenge people to give more of their time, of their money, of their talents, of their resources. We need to challenge people to work harder and, 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 and to be smarter and, and for us to be uh, um, uh, more moral in the places that we live and for us to speak louder about who Jesus is. And we need to challenge people to take those next steps on the journey. And we can, should never, ever, ever be satisfied with the way things are. I love what we do here on Sunday mornings. I love our band. I love the way they play. I love the way we do life groups. I love the way, uh, the, the way things go on with our, with our children's ministry and our preschoolers and, and, and what they're doing back there. But you know what? I'm never satisfied. Now, that doesn't mean I'm unhappy. But what that means is I'm constantly thinking, this is great. What next? What does God have for us next? What does Jesus want us to be doing next? Because there's thousands and thousands of people outside these walls. They don't even know Jesus loves them and, and they don't even know this church exists and we need to get out there and tell them the gospel. We need to bring them in here so they can clearly hear the gospel and we need to help them move ahead on, 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 the, on the path of faith and we need to answer their questions that they've got. See, six years ago when, um, when we started this church, I was convinced that business as usual as far as church was concerned was not going to get it done anymore. I was convinced of that. And six years later, I'm still convinced of that. In fact, I'm more sure now than ever 
Business as usual will not get it done. We've got to, we've got to do something different. We've got to, we've got to, to be more bold. And, and, I'm, and, and there's one thing that, that really just sticks in my craw, even though I don't know where my craw is, but it sticks there, right? I don't even know what that means, but I say it. But there's one thing that just really grates on my nerves. And maybe, and, and, and I'm not accusing any of you of anything, but, but let me tell you something that grates on my nerves, and that's church shopping and church hopping. I'm tired of church hopping. I'm tired of it. There's a, I'm not going to tell you the church, and if you come up to me after this service is over and ask me which church I'm talking about, I'm not going to tell you. Nobody even knows I was going to say this. Sherry doesn't even know what church I'm talking about. But there's a church in this community that's growing and great stuff's happening, and I know for a fact that probably 98% of the people that go to that church now, I can tell you the churches they used to go to. I can name them off. There's about five churches that those people used to go to, and now they go to this, new, this other church, right? But it's, it's the happening place now. But you know what, what, it, what it is? Is that we just had a bunch of church hoppers move from one to the other. And I know some of y'all are saying, hey, wait a minute, Cliff, we used to go to another church before we came here. And I tell listen, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But what I'm saying is, if you're leaving church because, if you're leaving one church and going to another because you say, well, you know, they got a cuter youth minister over there, and our youth minister is so cute. He even wears shiny shoes sometimes, like silver. But... But there's just all these reasons that people leave one church and go to another, you know? Well, I, I can't go to that church anymore because they changed three people in the band and now they do, sounds just a little different. I can't worship any longer. Grow up. Grow up. I don't see anywhere in the book of Acts where somebody left one church for another because they changed worship directors or band leaders or, or music ministers, right? And, and Or... or Here's one that kills me. Nobody from my kid's school goes to that church. Maybe your kid ought to be inviting his friends to come with him. You ever thought about that? We've got to quit this hopping around from one church to the other. And you know what we need to do? We need to find a place, plant there, and say, I'm going to do all that I can to make this church a church that attracts people with questions, a church that clearly explains the gospel, and a church that helps people, challenges people to move forward on the journey of faith. That's what I want to see happen here. And if, if I could have my dream, that would be five years from now, not a single one of you would be at another church. But every single one of you in here would have said today, we're going to do all we can here. And then all of you have gone out, you've invited your friends, people that I don't know, people that I can't influence because I don't have an influence on them. You can, though. And that you go out of there and you invite them. And five years from now, we're running four or five or six services because of the fact that everybody who was here, we didn't leave the first time things got a little weird. We didn't leave the first time Cliff said something you don't like because I say stuff sometimes that I don't even like right? And, and we didn't leave when, when, uh, when the other church down the road got a cooler children's program or something like that, but we stayed here and we worked as hard as we could because we believed that this church is needed in this community and can make an impact that will affect eternity. And I believe that that can happen, but it's going to take every single one of us to do it.
And that's what we're going to talk about next week, about how it's all of our responsibility to make that happen. Our band's going to come up, and uh, while they're coming up, I want to just close up by telling you this and reminding you of something. I told you, it's a, it's a, I made a joke about it, but it really is true. Every time I preach a message like this, I'll get people afterwards say, Whoo, man, Cliff, that was awesome. You need to do that more often. And then I'll have two or three people, and, and sometimes they don't come to me. They'll go to someone else, and then they'll come to me, which is hilarious. And uh, they'll say, who's Cliff mad at? I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm passionate about what I think God can do here. So please don't mistake my passion for anger. I get angry about stuff that doesn't really matter, unfortunately. I get angry over ball games. I'm not a proud of that, right? But I'm not angry about this. I'm passionate about it. Because I believe with all my heart that the potential of this church is unlimited. And the reason I believe that is because I know that the power of God is unlimited. And so we can do things that have never been done before in the upstate of South Carolina. And I want to be here when it happens. I don't want to miss out on it. I don't want to be dead and be up in heaven and hear about it that someone else got to be in on it. I'm selfish. I want to be here. I want to see it happen. I want to be right in the middle of it. So I want us to stand up. We're going to say a closing prayer. And then uh, this last song that the band's playing, it's really rocking. It's awesome. So, uh, so we're going to go out of here excited about what God's doing. But as I pray today, I just want you to know that um, I care about all of you. And I really believe that this church is stronger when we're all here, when we're all moving forward. And if it's up to me, if it's up to Donnie, the rest of the staff and our elders and our volunteers, we're not going to accomplish a whole lot. But if we all do it together, God's going to bless that. So let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that church was your idea from the beginning. That when Jesus was on earth, that he established the church. That it's built on him, that he's the foundation. That he's the head and we are his bride. And even when we act ugly, even when we hop around from place to place, even when we do stupid stuff, that in his eyes we're still beautiful. That the church is the beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that this week that I would and the rest of us, that we would live as if we are the beautiful bride of Christ. That we would live authentic, biblical lives that have an amazing impact, that attract people to Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your death on the cross. And Lord, no matter what else happens in life, no matter where else we go, that should be our number one focus and priority is glorifying you because of what you did on the cross and through the resurrection. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.